So it's a nachas to be back, and the uh, introductions in terms of the titles are getting even better, so the shir has to be better. And I thank Rabbi Mordechai for always uh, focusing, tireless, to get each one his mana be'itoy, and the mitzvah shem, the things we'll speak about, which if you'd asked me years ago, I would say it's a bit unusual some of the things that we're going to bring down, but I think there's a lot to uh, learn and at least try to internalize what we have to be focused on. So this title, Al Tikre Charis El is very Nogea to Shuvis Kabbal Satera. Real freedom, virtual reality. So, talking about computers and things online, when I stand in front of the camera and I bring my USBs, which are available before I forget. Bobby has some, Jay has some, raise their hand, you can find him for the updated ones. That's about the only good news that we're going to have to say about the technology today much of the online experience has been uh, pushed and has been advertised so they're taking a, a new very large step into the unknown and they told me right over this virtual reality augmented reality and the blend of it is getting better and better and more real and more real as it's getting more fake. <coughs> and the Rilo Dovery is one of the largest companies in the world, renamed themselves and rebranded themselves Meta as in Meta Universe. I'm not here to attack the owner, who Mr. Chen is going to do very soon. So it's not a uh, personal agenda. And hopefully, Many of you are giving me blank stares, so they have no shaykhs to what we're going to introduce, and hopefully today's discussion will ensure that we have very little shaykhs. But as the Nisyanus from 5, 10, 15 years ago came without much advance notice, this is a new madrega in the wrong direction of what's going to be enticing our generation, the next generation, and it's uh, very fast, very furious, and very real. Fortunately, we can learn a lot from the pitfalls of what's coming down the line to what Kosh Baruch Hu is asking us to do in real life, we hope. So let me begin often begin with something from Megillus Rosa Parshas Bechukesai because that's when Memorial Day always falls, give or take. And we'll get to that. First, let me begin with an interview of a fellow I never heard of. Both pieces today, we'll get to this one now, hopefully the other one later if we have enough time. I'll learn a tremendous amount from this, and it wasn't intended by the people talking and writing. Uh, the name of this fellow is Mark Anderson. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. He's somewhere from Europe where they have a lot of E's and S's in the names. 
but he's supposed to be a Lahavdil of Abdullah, a Rashka Bahag in high tech and new tech. And this was sent to me by Achosh of Abentera, who is involved in this for his Panasa and Baruch Hashem at the same time is managing miraculously to have no shaykhs do it. Not an easy feat. So there's an interview with this fellow, we'll call him Mark, and the fellow, the reporter, starts off with the following question. Almost sounds like he's very from. I don't think he's a yid. The question is, are we too connected these days? Is that a fair question? It's a question, mind you, as we'll see, that the Umas Ha'ulam are realizing that there is a big issue. And they're realizing in a very big way, what can they do to fix it if you're not shakua and terror mitzvahs and a real Kabbalah Satera? It's difficult, but at least Chochmah B'gayim Taimin, you can understand that they're Pachad is real, and they're coming around to what we're nervous about already for a long time. So the question is, are we too connected these days? The ability to communicate with others that have never been cheaper or easier. We are now all expected to be online with an immediate reach during all non-sleep hours. This places great expectations on people, and it is my opinion that this is a negative thing for our psychological well-being as we are not programmed for constant instantaneous contact. This is the question to this fellow Mark who is a Rashka Bahag thinker and philosopher of these Inyanim. You would think, I'm quoting small excerpts here, you would think that he would right away be made the Bakula without triggering a Shvudaresa. He would Certainly, because he lives in this world, <coughs> he would certainly agree and be a pretty short interview. What he says right away after he takes this question is kind of shocking. And he sort of goes on the attack. The reporter just asks a simple question. This is not sustainable and it's affecting everybody and you can't be normal and this is not for human beings. And this is detrimental to society. So basically, where are we going with this? If you're sitting down. So Mark says, your question is a great example of what I call reality privilege. My English is decent, but you have to like read this a few times. I'm going to give you the commentary just to figure out what's going on. But it's very big. Now, Shkafas here are flashing this is extremely important. So he starts off, he has a taina on him. He says, only somebody with reality privilege can ask such a bizarre question, or such a pointed question. No, so you are wondering, what in the world is reality privilege? We start off talking about virtual reality. By the end of this year, we're not going to know whether we're all sitting here and whether anything is real. It's just, but this is where we are, so we've got to figure this out. Consider the possibility, Mark has the floor and we'll retain the floor for the rest of this piece. Consider the possibility that a dismissal of the virtual as inferior or escapist, which is sort of what the shoyal is saying, is that this is ridiculous and it's not sustainable and it's not necessary and we can actually act as human interacting with each other. Why do we have to be at the beck and call of our computers and phones all the time? That was his question. Very simple, honest question. And he gets attacked. 
He says, you must be one of those uh, reality-privileged people to ask such a question. And you're obviously dismissing the virtual as inferior or escapist. No, I'd ask anybody in this room, what would you say about the virtual and creating a metaverse where everybody can be involved in a universe that doesn't exist for 24 hours a day? So you would say, that's insane, that, that's escapist. Like, why, why don't you deal with life instead of running away? So this guy's a smart guy. So he bavards all that in one sentence and goes on the attack. And he said that uh, you must be privileged and in the minority because you seem in your question to be dismissing the virtual as something inferior or escapist. And the reason you think that way is because you're a result of super-user privilege. We still don't know what he's getting at just yet. And he explains, a small percentage of people live in a real-world environment that is rich and overflowing, with glorious substance, beautiful settings, plentiful stimulation, many fascinating people to talk to and to work with. Basically, just described everybody in this room. So we're all privileged. Amazing. We wake up. We're not bored. We don't need to escape. We don't need to go into a virtual world. We never have enough time in the day, and we're always balancing davening and learning and doing mitzvahs and making a little money to support our families and spending some time with our family. We don't have a minute to spare. And he just relegated all of us to the tiny percentage on earth that actually has a feel they have a purpose in life. So that's Gavaldic. That's why I'm just letting you know how rare we are. You thought we were the Amanivcher and we're a small percentage. Now we're a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage of human beings who actually want to continue engaging in the world that Akash who created in order to deal with real challenge and real messianism, real problems, and succeed most of the time. We'll take 51%. And thereby do Ratzon Hashem. That's the backdrop, but he doesn't know any of that. He's just talking to this reporter. This poor guy is getting hit over the head for even asking this question, why should we want to build the metaverse and escape into some no-man's land, which we'll just get to be sucked in and no one will ever accomplish anything. That was his question. And he said, only somebody with super user, super user privileges who has actually a quality of life with people to talk to, things to do. These are also all the people who get to ask probing questions like yours. This will not finish attacking. Because you're standing here with your mic and you're interviewing me because you're privileged and all of you privileged people are the ones who get to ask these smart questions. Everyone else, the vast majority of humanity, lacks reality privilege. Their online world is or will be immeasurably richer and more fulfilling than most of the physical and social environment around them in a quote-unquote real world. This is shocking that somebody, and everybody agrees with him, by the way. This is where it's going. He's basically tying that uh, there's really nothing to do here. This is real clear. There's nothing to do here. We have no purpose in life, whether it's Zion Mitzvah or Tayyag Mitzvah, and there's really no direction, and it's really hard to handle for 99% of the world, 
And therefore, we're fortunate to be able to build places that look better, sound better, hang around with people that enjoy our company even though they don't because they're not real and we're not real. They call them avatars, what do they call them? These people walking around. And you got a whole universe of them and that sounds a lot more interesting than the day-to-day -day life that most of the world really has. And therefore, you can't look at the 1% who actually want to do something. You have to look at the 99% who don't have that privilege. It's scary because if I wasn't from when I was reading this, I'd actually be inclined to maybe agree with them. That's what's scary over here. The reality privilege, that's us and this reporter, of course, call this conclusion dystopian. Now, even if you don't know what the word dystopian means, it's just the opposite of utopian. And that word you probably have heard. So I'm mentioning this because the coincidence is not lost on me. We're at a day or two before the state tries to use their influence to stop our education and try to destroy our Messiah of Islam. Yeah, so we're going to, he's not finished yet. We're, we're going to, give, give me one minute and I'll explain it more. It's us, so that's what's going to be easy to explain. So the uh, state, as you know, is trying to um, impose this type of new culture and civilization, which is copying and pasting, sorry to use that Russian, the same old decadent culture, just now you could do it even more freely because nobody knows who you are, so it's anonymous. And he says that um, the reality privilege to have access to interesting lives and using their head and living in real life are in reality, but they're the privilege, and that's only 1% of the world. That's his expression. And building something that doesn't really exist, he says to the reporter, you might think that's dystopian. And that's not a goal. And you people, you reality privileged people, demand that we prioritize improvements in reality over improvements in virtuality. Which sounds normal to us, no? Is there still some few privileged people who are obviously not thinking beyond themselves? This is what he's saying. And they're saying, why should we spend billions and billions of dollars and spend all our energies creating fake worlds? Why don't we work on the real world? Makes sense, no? He doesn't think so. He says, that's not working. To which I say, to this argument, this is Mark talking, reality has had 5,000 years. I'll give him credit. By the way, he said 5,000, not 5 billion. That, I was actually a silver lining. I was actually happy to see that. Okay, I'm not going to compliment him at all in any other part of this piece, but I thought that was nice. So he says, no, you're saying that we should improve the reality instead of the virtual worlds that don't exist. And I, Mark, say reality has had 5,000 years to get good. And it's clearly still woefully lacking for most people. I don't think we should wait another 5,000 years to see if we can eventually close the gap. We should build, and we are building, online worlds that make life and work wonderful for everyone, no matter what level of reality deprivation they find themselves in. 
You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. This guy's real, and there are billions of people who agree with him, and the people in power are building it. 99% of people agree. And anybody who dares disagree, they're called all sorts of names like privilege, and that goes in line with other names like that, which we won't go into. And all of a sudden, they're attacked as well. It's easy for you to say because you're experiencing life. Kilo, this reporter, has it made, and he has no trials and tribulations. He's just normal. Works and trying to just find out what are you guys up to, and he gets attacked. This is diametrically opposed to every single fiber of our being and everything we stand for. And it's a tremendous Yetzahara because what has happened over the last 10, 15 years is now going to exponentially <laughs> grow in terms of the problem. You think the interface we're looking at at work is enticing. Virtual worlds where you could just go anywhere you want and do whatever you want and be with whoever you want, all in full color and with tremendous, tremendous uh, fanfare, is going to be a real challenge for anybody who gets up in the morning and from the Umas Eilam, has Zion Mitzvahs trying to be a good person, has bills to pay, has a job to do, and as many people face in terms of a challenge in the morning, sometimes, do you ever have the experience when you wake up right after Medani, you remember all the things that were still problematic yesterday and you want to pull the pillow over your head and then the blanket, if anybody had that experience. So it's from people, the Medani is supposed to start the day and set the tone. Medani, thank you Hashem that I woke up and I'm able to take these Nisyanists and grow from them and continue working on it and continue fighting and I won't always win but it's a work in progress and that's our job and that's us that's the normal way of looking at life he's suggesting that we tried that for a long time and the Umasalam Taka don't have a very good Messiah even on the Zion Mitzvah that's the inherent part of the problem over here and they don't have the Shal Shragalim, and they don't have Memorial Day to sit and learn, and they don't have Shuas coming, and they don't have to think about a new Kabbalah Sotera every year. So the Taka lost, and it's Rahmanus. Uh, so he's suggesting just forget the whole thing. We tried that for 5,000 years since Shesh Mebrashis. Just press the reset, become an avatar, whatever that is, and then you can enjoy yourself. You couldn't make up science fiction like this. It's not fiction. It's being built. The largest companies in the world and you can be sure they know how to make money and if they think the money is here, that's where they're going to put all their efforts. That is step one. He person writing this up, concludes with some basic statistics before the metaverse is completed, that already now, every single minute in the world, WhatsApp is sending 41 million messages per minute. And consumers spend $1 million online every minute because we're all saving money. And... Uh, Netflix, which is Chaza Treif, streams 
thousand hours of video every minute. That sounds like a mythos. How do you have 400,000 hours every minute? I mentioned that to somebody a few months ago who mumbled some comment that says, yeah, it's, it's Taka Horrible, it's destroying my family and ruining everything, we gotta get rid of it. I didn't tell him that I was a bit surprised it was anywhere near a Jewish home, but the good news is, it's firm enough to realize it's not compatible with his goals and the goals of his family. That's child's play, those three statistics. The metaverse, as it develops, their plan is to keep people with goggles on and then they're gonna get rid of those heavy goggles and just put it into your eyeglasses. Eyeglasses. And you'll just be able to live in that world even if it looks like you're engaging with other people. So that sounds like we're 50 years away from that. We're not. We're a few years away. Let's now begin, you could tell the Parsha from the first Pusik and the first Rashi, that sets the tone. And as I'm sure you all thought about this past Shabbos, So Rashi says, what are the words, mean? So Rashi says, the second part of the Pesach, Es Mitzvah Sai Tishmeru, means the actual Asi, Es Mitzvah. What does the first phrase, Em B'chukah Sai Telechu, mean? Ma'ani Mekayim, Em B'chukah Sai Telechu, to Amelim B'teru. We'd like to relegate this Rashi, the type of Shmuz, to B'nai Terah in Yeshiva. And you all remember in Yeshiva, you got a Shmuz certainly before Shmuz, about Amelim B'teru, and you got the schmooze every other week, and it's a crucial yesod for your learning. The good news is, Rashi puts this as the taich of the Pusik, and it's the first Pusik of the parasha, which means it's talking to all of Klai Yisrael, whether you happen to be in yeshiva all day, or you're in yeshiva during your sadarim, and everybody is mechuyiv in this Pusik, and therefore we have to figure out what it means. So they asked once, Rav Shmuel Vazovsky, Rashiva Panovich, Rashi says it's Mukhuch because the end of the Pasuk talks about mitzvahs. So the first part of the Pasuk has to talk about something else. How is it Mukhuch that in Teilechu, what's the deal from the word Teilechu that is talking about Amelus Patera? And what does Amelus Patera mean? We know Amelus Patera means you have to concentrate, it doesn't come easy, and nothing in life that's worthwhile comes easy. And you have to push yourself and stretch your intellect, and all that's true. What's the deal from the word Teilechu? If I have to pick a word, in Lashon HaKadosh, to describe thinking deep and thinking hard, which we usually associate with the Melis Pateyer, the last word I would take is a word that talks about walking, going, doing, action. The last word. And here, Melis Pateyer is described, in Mechuka Sait Teilechu. How a Chazal Medaik, that from the word Teilechu. So Shmuel said, I'm adding to what I think he meant, trying to explain. We say in the vernacular, a person has to have a mahalach in a subya. You have to have a mahalach in life. Also, it's an interesting word, mahalach. Mahalach means something that we walk with. The answer is that Amelis Patera is not only in the learning of the subya, 
it's in the learning of the sugya, and it's in the Kabbalah that we're accepting which Ruz is all about. And we're going to make it the focus of everything we do in our life. We're going to make it our mahalach. Once something becomes our focus, that's what we get excited about, that everything is doable, even if it's not perfect. So the Torah, Dafka uses telechu, an action of going. You're going with a mahalach of what? Not the asiyas mitzvahs in the physical way. That's the second part of the puzzle. First, you have to ingrain in your mind the concept of amelis patera, of stretching yourself, stretching your mind, but stretching your mysterious nefesh, that everything you do in life is vetted in one possible realm, and that is what's what's in Hashem, and if it's difficult, it's usually a sign that Hashem just wants me to continue doing it and get more sar. So the pump agra is not just understanding a difficult thesis in Rebbe Kivegar. It's the mahalacha life, everything you do, everything you're trying to keep out of your life, every hashkafa you're rejecting and every hashkafa you're taking in, everything is bediktuk and done with mesiris nefesh. Then it makes sense, the Lashem Telechu, it becomes your mahalacha life. We see this from the first Pasuk in Megillah's Rus. Also tells you what the entire Megillah is going to be about. And before we go to that, the backdrop over here. This is the Sharm brings down a Perek Vav. This is Sharm lets us know as the Siddha Shem always does, what makes us tick and what you have to be careful about. So he says, Teva ha'adam kaved ma'oid. Our Teva naturally is very heavy. That means we're naturally lazy. It's easier to do nothing than to have a mahalach and get up and do something. Alkein la'yachbaz adam b'tarech So people naturally don't like to work hard whether physically or even intellectually. And that's why the entire industry is all about making new inventions and new gizmos that save us time. So everything, every day, another thing comes out, and we have now more time, even though we have less time than ever as a civilization, that's because we have to make the money to pay for all these things. So they're starting to realize it's becoming more of a rat race and they're not accomplishing anything. But the drive is, as Mrs. Trump said, everybody is naturally heavy, and therefore, if we could save time and not have to go do something, or not have to really push ourselves to think something through, or be courageous enough to reject something as trafe, all that takes a lot of effort not to be lazy. And Mrs. Trump goes on to talk about Adam Amol Yulad, Everybody's going to do our mailers. The question is, how are you going to do it and where are you going to spend it? So this new virtual reality in the metaverse is to take it to a new level. Now you don't have to get out of your chair because you can just talk and the computer reacts and orders you by drone something to fill up the cottage cheese in your fridge or the cottage cheese I think in the fridge is being ordered by the fridge itself, not by us. I think that's the goal, so we don't even have to do that. But if you want something that's not in the fridge yet, something new, so they want to bring it to the point, and they are unfortunately succeeding in this, that we can just say something and soon to be think something and not leave the chair and with the goggles on soon not to look out of our Daladamas, and that's not for Shemir Zenayim. And all that is to make it more comfortable. 
The problem is, as the Uma Salam are noticing, we're creating people who are less and less happy. There are more people who are into Ahmadullah's not substance abuse and all these things, and they can't understand. We're making everybody so happy and so comfortable, and it's never been easier. What's the problem? So, Messiah Sasharim says that Akash Baruch who created us, Adam Lamal Nivra, which means we have to know we're working hard. The question is, where do you want to work hard? What's your mahalach? So, with that introduction, Elimelech was from the Chashuvi Adar. So, we're not here to say one bad thing about him except for Wichaz Al Kamen. Megillus Ruz starts with. Even by Ashraithim, Ashraithim, Vira, Baritz, Elimelech, who is given resources, talent, leadership position, he has chashivas, he has yichus, he has money. And for this hour of need in Klai Yisrael, he was put here to help them. I'm not saying we would have done any better. It's hard to spend all your money with no end in sight. And Lamaisa. If there's a real raw and there's millions of people to feed, he probably made a calculation very quickly, back of the envelope, that I'm wealthy, but I'm not that wealthy, and I can empty the account that's not going to solve the problem. And that's a good kasha. So why spend all the money and they're going to be hungry a week later? I might as well leave, and at least somebody will have money. Did I explain that too well? Because it's supposed to come out that that's only a havamina. So what's the answer? The answer is, again, I'm not saying we would have done better, but the McGill is written to show you what responsibility is and how we can't shirk responsibilities. And every responsibility is unique to your matzav and what Hashem gave you. And at the end of the day, he had a good cheshbin. Perhaps had he started spending it in a big way with Messiris Nefesh, and the count goes down, 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 down. Perhaps with that Messiris Nefesh, that would have been the schus to turn things around. The road would have stopped which is certainly an option. But it's a difficult Nisayan. And everybody could ask, why me? I don't have to work so hard, and I worked a long time to amass this fortune, and I can't handle it, and we're leaving. And he leaves, with very detrimental results. The level of achrayas that happens in the next Pasuk introduces the family... Machlan Achillion, they marry Rasha Moavias. Abchayim, that's all points out. You have Machlan Achillion. Machlan's older. Achillion marries Arpa, who is older. That's for a different schmooze. Why that happened has a lot to do with the, the names and the Siat involved, but he comments on one part of the Siat we would like to look, if they have to choose, which one fared better. They both died. Which one fared better, Machlan or Killian? No, it's the one who married Rus. That's Machlan. He died first. Why did he die first? He got married second. It's a fair question. What? Now that we know the, the ages, he's just been dying from the politics. Machlan or Killian? And then there's Arpa and Rus. Why did he die first? So Chaim says that as the older brother, he saw his younger brother did this Avera first. And he had the power as the older brother to make a macha, and he didn't. 
and therefore, well, he did not make a malchah, it ended up rubbing off on him, and then he did the same thing, made the same mistake. And he was punished first, because it was his achrayas. So all the older brothers in the room here, I'm not, it's not just a din on the bachar, it's a din in achrayas. And we've touched upon in the past, there's a fairish apostolic in Chumash, which is very, I don't want to use the word, not popular, but people get very nervous, and I hear the same terrorists every time we bring it up, the Pasuk and Chumash. Pasuk and Chumash applies in all generations. You know which Pasuk am I quoting? So right away you hear, no, I, my, my Rebbe told me it doesn't apply today. It doesn't apply. I said, if you have a Rebbe that says the Pasuk and Chumash doesn't apply, I suggest you get a different Rebbe. Uh, he didn't say that, and you misunderstood. Maybe he told you in 10th grade that you're not the best guy to tell your friends because I listen to you, maybe mention it to one of our band, he'll include it in the Musa Shmuz. I don't know what was said then, but to take a Pasuk of Chumash and say it doesn't apply is uh, simply not the case, especially Chazal Daishan over here, one of the few places, Afilu So what does that tell you? So the two answers I always hear is that it doesn't apply today, we don't know how to give to Chacha. I said, because I'll say, we're not that good at it, you have to be careful. Don't say you're potolagamri. And then the second answer I hear is, I'm not going to listen anyway. I would venture to say, statistically, it was never popular to give or receive to Chacha. And every time you give to Chacha, from Shesh there's a better than that chance, I apologize for being pessimistic, but there's a better than not chance that they're not going to listen. Certainly not the first time. They're still not in front of you. So that just begs the question, why is there a Pasuk in Chumash and why did Chazal say you have to do it over and over and over again? So the answer is, and whenever this is quoted or misquoted, the misquote is forgetting this part. Chazal say that as you have your readings of you have to be more careful. You have to do it out of extra ava and extra care. You have to start with the disclaimer that I'm not better than you and I'm working on this and actually pretty bad at this. Maybe you can help me. Maybe we can work together. With all the disclaimers, if you do it with ava, concern, care, and you keep repeating the message in a wonderful way, the people hearing it are still going to get annoyed and probably not listen right away. But if you keep on doing it, the overall mathematical equation is you actually make oration. You just can't give up. So each time you say it, chances are they won't listen. 90 to 10, 95 to 5. But if you put everything together, the reason Chazal say, Dafka, by this mitzvah, do it 100 times, is because it won't be now, maybe it'll be a lot later, maybe it won't be in front of you because he doesn't want to admit he's wrong. Everything makes a ration. Even if the area you're trying to address is done less, you made a ration. Here, Elimelech's taken to task for being a person who could have done a lot more, and he ran to a virtual place that existed on Earth. But if you go out to stay Mayav, you're nowhere. He didn't even move into the city because he was from. He didn't want to go to the city. He just went out to the fields. What's going on in Israel? I leave and I don't look at it. Hopefully, Hashem will save his people and it doesn't have to be my problem. But for a person of his standing, that's not the Malach. And Machlin and Kilian are both falling to the same Avera. Machlin gets punished first, even though he's the better of the two and had more schism being married to Rus. But he could have made a ratio on his younger brother and that would have helped him as well. And he probably figured, we're out here, stay in and 
This is uh, a matzah. We don't have any friends. There are no yeshivas. There are no minyanim. And this is the way it's going to go. What am I going to tell him? It's not going to listen to his older brother. Sometimes the sibling is the worst person to give. You have to figure out who's in the best position. But if everybody says it's not me, then nothing gets done. That's not good either. Again, it's the same focus on the mahalach that you have to know that these are things that are hanging barumashal ilum and a little bit more effort makes a huge difference. The rest of the theme of the Megillah repeats this theme over and over again. Rus and Arpa are both coming back. Rus pushes one more time. That doesn't mean Arpa was never serious. It's a question of if this is your Mahalach in life, everybody has their passion push one more time, and maybe that's all Hashem wants. They bring, in the context of the Medrash with Rus, the chilip between, Hashem Avada, Hashem Avada, Chazara, 100, 101. Anybody Chazaring, 190, 80, 70, deserves our tremendous respect. Chazar's point is, when you think you can't do anymore, and you do one more, that's what separates the men from the boys. That's the entire theme. If you're 80 years old, and that's one cheetah, and you're Baya, some say he was older, he was Ifsen, you have to fit in the dating. And you've had a full life, and you're a Shafit, and you succeeded in a lot, and you're getting into a very controversial issue of being Mafraisim, a din which was, according to most Achranim, Allah Moshe Sinai, but it wasn't Mafraisim, so they didn't want people going to marry the Gaita next door with this excuse. So they weren't Mafraisim, but now it's no gay, and nobody ever heard of it, and it's no gay to him. Something looks controversial. Who wants to be controversial? And he pushed himself to do it because he felt it was the right thing to do and didn't stop pushing himself. He set up a matzah where it'll be done bizrizus right away. Call plenty of money. He's first. Plenty of money goes down. He says plenty of money. He didn't do anything wrong. He said something that makes a lot of sense. He said, this is controversial. They can reverse this psaac. My children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, what do I need this for? It's a good svar. It's indeed. Why is it called plenty of money? The answer is, he was a big person, tremendous, tremendous family, and deep down, that wasn't the real reason. What was driving this is that this might get uncomfortable, and am I really mechuyiv to get out of my comfort zone for this? The answer is mechuyiv? It's a question of a potter. It's a question of doing Ratzon Hashem and becoming the Ebed Hashem to not shirk away from responsibility. That's what the Megillah is all about. That's what Bayez succeeded, plenty of money didn't, and he's a good person. Because that history is plenty of money. Bayez does it, he does it in the nick of time, he's no longer alive the next day. We think, well, a day or two, what does it make? We'll get it done. There's always manana. Right now I have places to visit in the virtual worlds that are saying you don't have to spend any money more. You, you want to go visit the Far East, you can go visit Eretz wherever you want. It's cheaper, just, just, just go. You imagine how time consuming? Somebody's watching something they shouldn't be watching nowadays. Okay, so it ends after an hour or two. This never ends because you're a player. It never ends. And people go to more places. So you say, how many places are there on Earth? They say, why are you stuck on Earth? We got Mars, we got... Some people spending money to get people there. I'm not sure. Investment-wise, you can go there without having to go there. But can you imagine... What a distraction this is if you could do this all day and all night. 
And Baez was very focused on reality. He was one of those privileged people who are part of the Amanifcher who understand that Kabbalah Sotera is not doing things that are comfortable, only doing things that you know are right. It's not only good for Yelam Haba, it's better for Yelam Haza. You feel better about it. Step two. This one is an upgrade. This was sent to me actually in the last month. I was the spo that somebody can have such deep and penetrating, positive and pristine hashkafas. The young lady who wrote this, I don't know who it is. It sounds like a Baal's Chuva who is really smart and really shy. I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but I want to share with you part of it. I thought it was phenomenal, and the person sent it to me, knew I was investigating these inyanim, and they said they think this would uh, help. Tremendous, tremendous. Uh, just the, she's writing in a very popular tech publication that's read by millions and millions of people around the world. So she's a macher in that. I never heard of her, but that's not a kasha because I don't see these magazines. Uh, her name is Kelsey Osgood, just to say B'Shem Amro. She's a from lady. Not the average name of from, but it's not only from. I, I have uh, rarely seen such a brilliant piece that's so properly written and yet so scathing as an attack on what's going on in society. And I think it's a great curve tool. I think uh, for the B'nai Yeshiva, for the FFBs, and for the people who are not yet from, the people who just became from, the people who are always from, I think the message is the same, and it's really about Shavuos and Kabbalah Satera. Why we do things. And we're so busy based on foreign influences measuring what's good for us, what's not good for us, how uncomfortable will it be, how out of the box is it going to be, instead of just focusing on one thing. It's a Kabbalah Satera, it's a Gezeh Sekhasev, and we have to do Ratzon Hashem and figure out whether we're doing that with enough Mesiris Nefesh. So she is talking about the title over here is something I also didn't even know existed. Why would I know? The title here is Why Your Digital Shabbos. Everything here is Shabbat, by the way. I don't want to misquote, but I'm going to just say Shabbos. It's easier for me. I don't even think of the word each time I read it. She's going to talk about Shabbos a thousand times. Why Your Digital Shabbos Will Fail. What is a digital Shabbos and why will it fail and who is she talking to? It's unbeknownst to me, it's a Pella, but it uh, gives you a little taste of Los Lovely where things are going wrong on earth and they're trying to find solutions. How do we fix this? And somebody has an idea without admitting this is from Yiddishkeit and without even admitting that Akash Baruch Hu exists, Rahman they they'll borrow something, try to cut and paste it and use it to solve a worldwide issue which we began with per the reporter and that is that the whole society is getting very sick and bent out of shape and not functioning because they're connected 24-7 and as the reporter asked in the last stickle, this is not sustainable and everybody's going crazy. That's a real problem that the guy was talking about in every article. So apparently years ago, but not many years ago, say uh, five years ago, give or take, there were people, mostly Umasalim, she's not, as you'll see, who decided, you know what, the Jews have something called Shabbos, 
And the Orthodox Jews who really are very serious about it, they really shut off for 25 hours. So we have a solution. Everybody's going crazy and nobody could get any sleep and no one's functioning and no one's productive and the brain can't handle that. We're not wired to be doing this. And this is before they start building the metaverse. Now it's going to get exponentially worse. So they said, our advice is for all our tech friends, these are very wealthy and powerful people who write in this magazine and read this magazine. And they're the Rashkaba hogs of their industries and they're complaining about it. They said, it's a problem. We made the problem, we've got to fix it. So how are we going to fix it? Hashem gave us a gift, Gemara and Be'ah. Shabbos is the name, and they're going to borrow it. So, just the history before you uh, start reading her attack, which is uh, amazing. So, they started doing it, and all the gurus started saying, you've got to try this, this is great, this, uh, this Shabbat is uh, really... It, it, sets everything up for the week and it resets everything and I come in calm, cool and collected I'm able to function this is Gavaldi and this guru who is from is writing an article which was reprinted hundreds of thousands of times I would say retweeted but I don't want to sound too cutting edge why your digital Shabbos will fail so she's about to explain to them from a pristine Terra Shkafa why it looks like a quick fix is not going to work. So she starts off, besides the Musa for the entire world, I'm more interested in discussing what this should mean to us. Secular Shabbats may be trendy as a self-help tool, but they won't curb your screen use or provide a quick fix to your stress. So that's the title and the subtitle. When mainstream society wants to create a tool for resisting the creep of technology into daily life, it often simply appropriates religious traditions. That's steel in English. The state is uh, nearing a decision to start uh, causing tremendous havoc, and their complaint is, we don't know English. Pretty highfalutin words, and everybody seems to be following me. Everybody here learned the yeshivas. In case anybody's asking and you didn't send in your multiple letters, we have good heads, and if we didn't learn it, we'll learn it when we need to, and we can figure it out. That's the short advertisement, which unfortunately is needed. We have a little time, we'll get back to that. It's all part of the same. Kabbalah, and we wouldn't think in America we'd have a Shasa Shmav like this, but it's that bad because they don't want to just have some people walk in to make sure everything's okay. They want to break the entire system that gives over the Maseira because we're too different and we're rejecting all their world values. And if the yeshivas are not teaching that you should want to grow up, and every first grader, what do you want to be when you grow up? So now the answer is an avatar. Which one? Who cares? It's not real anyway. So we'll just buy into your culture and we'll do the same to Avis in that virtual world, which is happening already. So they want us to educate like that. Instead of having a real Kabbalah, what does Hashem want in a very real world with real people? So she's going to get into that. And she first accuses them of plagiarism. Says, you're appropriating religious traditions the only problem is you're bringing it over, but you're 
conveniently dropping the religious part because they don't want to have anything to do with religion. One frequently cited spiritual cure is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest during which Orthodox Jews like myself, she's writing this for an international audience, a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. He says, she says right away who she is, full disclosure. Which Orthodox Jews like myself refrain from using anything powered by electricity, including computers, phones, TVs, they don't travel, cook, or tear toilet paper. That's Hakol Bakol, interesting list. We do nothing but focus on Shabbos, and the reader, if you're not familiar with Shabbos, wonder like, what's the side of Shabbos? The answer is, as she's going to explain very soon, it's Xerxes HaKosov, and Hashem knows what we need from Shabbos. But we'll get back to that. In the past decade, so many essays have been published proclaiming Shabbos as the answer. So she says already the ideas were put forth 10 years ago and been in use for many of those years. And these are non-religious goyim or yidin, and they're saying this is the answer, not only to tech saturation, but to work-life balance and the mental frame caused by both. Andrew Sullivan, these are supposed to be big names in the industry, I've never heard of them, but that's fine. In 2016, he had an article, My Distraction Sickness. He says... She quotes him, We can, if we want, recreate a digital Shabbos each week. Just one day in which we live for 24 hours without checking our phones. Can you imagine? Andrew Sullivan is telling us the answer to everything is just go into Shabbos mode and you'll be fine on Sunday. Andrew Sullivan. Samantha Man. I don't know. The Yid guy. The Yid. Do tshuva. Samantha Man, I've always liked the notion of purposely slowing down. Why not try a social media-free Shabbos? This is being bandied around the whole world. They discovered something. By the look of it, Shabbos is undergoing a secularization process in which ancient spiritual practice is drained of its religious substance and repackaged as a wellness mechanism. Couldn't have said it better. You have to be focused. She's obviously very smart and very focused. And this is an important lesson for us, even though we, Baruch Hashem, don't not take out our computers because we want a break. It's because it's Shabbos, Eliga Shabbos. But therein lies the point, and especially significant, we have a three-day yuntif. So I hear people in jubilation already and dancing in the streets. Baruch Hashem, we get to focus on our ruchnius for three days straight, except for the couple of people who I didn't hear singing that. That means we've been here too long. What they're really saying is, I don't know, you know, who knows what variant can come out in those three days, they gotta know what's going on, and they have no plan on knowing what's going on, they're from, but they're very bent out of shape. As if they haven't figured out for the past two years that three days will not make a difference. And she's commenting, they just borrowed something without the entire battery pack of what it's all about. She's going to say very soon that it happens to be Shabbos, can be restful, and you can rejuvenate. That's not the purpose of Shabbos. Lama Tesmalochus, you could technically stay away from and move couches around. Yeah, you have the Ramban, Shvisa, but it's not about rest. Rest is an Alam Hazeh component, there's also a Ruchnistic component because Hashem was Shabbos, but 
Shabbos is so much more than that, and it's based on our Nasa Vanishma, because if we take mitzvahs, especially Shabbos, which is up there in terms of the main mitzvahs, if we take any mitzvah and we start thinking like everybody else thinks, what's in it for me, and I have to explain to myself and my kids that it's really good, and we're having a good time, and Yontiv is Geshmak, and Cholomoy is even better, you have to do a little of that, but if we focus on that and we forget the real truth, and that is, Akash Baruch Hu gave us tired mitzvahs and everything is exerzikazu. And yes, it is certainly better for Olam Hazeb because you can't be happy unless you have a purpose. And if you run from that purpose and hide and go into other worlds and live a virtual reality, you'll be more miserable. And they're admitting it and still building more. And the Gzayasakasav is telling us that you'll be tied by Lamazah, and the purpose is to build an Elam Haba. And if we start second guessing that, well, I don't feel so great, and therefore I could bend a little here, bend a little there, it doesn't speak to me. I don't want to repeat such Lashainas. I was talking to somebody about something that's clearly a chiv, it doesn't speak to me. Hashem didn't ask us whether it speaks to us right now. If you could do it with gusto, wonderful, and if you're not in the mood, you've got to learn anyway. And you've got to figure out how it should speak to you more. But it's not about speaking to us. In one line, I'm not finished with her brilliant writing yet, but in America we have learned something too well, although we enjoy the democracy. We hope that stays and we enjoy the freedom. And we've never had it better. But American democracy and Western freedom drives home one point, again, which is the antithesis of everything Yiddishkeit has to offer. Their culture is all about we have rights and privileges, and Yiddishkeit is all about we have obligations. And never the twain shall meet. I could translate that in simpler English if you want. That's a big difference. Everybody's always talking about I have rights, I have rights, I have rights. No, we don't have any rights. We have obligations. We have chiyuv. With that, Hashem will give us all the Eishur HaChayim and all the Simcha and all the Kelim Mazer, so we can build that Olam Haba which is not virtual, Olam Haba is very real. And we sit here in this Western culture and by osmosis, even if you're not addicted to being online, it just seeps in. It's all about rights and rights and rights and rights. There are no rights, there are chiyuvim. And in society at large, nobody's heard that. I don't have any chiyuvim, I can do whatever I want. I have rights. You can't go to Kabbalah Terror with that mindset. And she's saying they took Shabbos as a Rahman Islam free parking, drained it of any religious substance, and now it's a wellness mechanism. It's not even going to work, as she's about to say, as a wellness mechanism, because it's not going to work. Because if it's up to what makes you feel good, then you could today accept it and tomorrow cut corners. Who cares and who's looking as long as I feel good? She continues, I understand that everyone is hungry for boundaries around tech usage, which is sorely needed and have proven very difficult to formulate and enforce. They can't enforce it. But efforts to invent a Shabbos outside the religious paradigm are largely doomed to fail for a host of small practical reasons and one really giant philosophical one. The host of small reasons that she describes is you can't really keep Shabbos without a community around you with people keeping Shabbos. She said she was living in a non-from neighborhood when she started keeping Shabbos and like people would meet her in the park and like take out their phones and says, you got to see this latest thing. And she'd like to, I'm not really interested. What do you mean you're not interested? Just take a look. 
says, it's hard to do practically unless you have a whole community around you. Second practical problem is, if it's all about you, then what starts off as 24 hours, if you're really interested in catching up on something, will be okay, I did an hour, I feel rested. Or I'd like to watch the next 90,000 messages on WhatsApp, and that relaxes me. So they would argue, and she says this, she says, well, you, you can make the twisted argument, Shabbos is all about Enoch Shabbos, which it's not, really. And therefore, that's my Enoch Shabbos. You're not going to have anything. If there's no system, and it's not divine, and there's no divine being, calling all the shots, then you're not bound to anything. Practically, it's not going to work. But she says that's not the biggest problem. Perhaps you've read somewhere that Shabbos is a day of rest. It's the only thing that really matters to you is that your eyes get a vacation and brain deadening, from brain deadening blue light. No, there was blue light. Is that what's emanating from those things? Okay. Sounds dangerous. But a shallow knowledge of the practice will likely lead to its ultimate collapse because you'll be aiming for the wrong thing, the rest itself. That she that figured this out, was able to write an article to Shavuot on that fish. It's Hafluvafella. He said, rest is part of Shabbos. But it means a ruchniyistic thing, and it, they're talking about a physical reality to rest their brain and rest their eyes. The two have no shaykhis. Rest implies that decompression is the ultimate purpose of Shabbos. But if your own personal unwinding is the goal, you're less likely to stick to your commandment to keep Shabbos when you feel it's too hard. The rules created by you for you become easy to bend. So no phone at all becomes no social media, and one day morphs into one hour. If Shabbos is for the sake of your own mental flourishing, in other words, you can cast nearly everything that makes you happy into the spirit of the day of any Shabbos. This applies to all mitzvahs. This is all of Kabbalah Satayra. You will be happier if you're Eved Hashem. You'll feel more fulfilled. You will accomplish. And you won't go into all these danger zones. But that's not the reason for the mitzvahs. That's how we do it by Elam Hazeh. The reason is, we're doing Ratzon Hashem, and Hashem wants to be made to the weeks after Elam Haba. And even that's a shtekel shalol You don't even need that. And she's delicately pointing out if you guys want to import this without a Kosh Baruch in the equation, nothing is going to work and you're going to be as miserable as you were before. But if Shabbos is not designed for all mental flourishing, then what is it about? Herein lies the potentially insurmountable problem with trying to secularize the practice. Now she gets to the philosophical issue. I would say, you know, it's dangerous. She's teaching Lubas Elam about Shabbos, the Pimius of Shabbos, but there are plenty of Yidin listening to this, and it's good for the average FFB, Yetzi, Yeshiva, and Beis Yaakov. Orthodox Jews do not observe Shabbos as a way to spend more time with their family. Say that in a soundbite to people, you might get pushback. It's a very beneficial side milo. And it's important for chinuch, and it's important to unwind. All this is true. That's not the taich in the gzeiras akasiv. That's not why we're doing it. Or to prevent burnout induced by living under the tyranny of modern capitalism, Shabbos does allow us those things, and it's an extremely effective tool for all of the above. But no, we have a very unfashionable, very simple, supremely awesome reason because God told us to. He writes it during Sphere Assignment. 
And she keeps putting in. It'll do all the above. It'll make us happier people, more productive people, and we need it, and we do need a rest. It's all true. But if you take mitzvahs, you take Torah, and you say, good, I, I do this because it feels good, and you know, I eat kosher, and we have so much to eat and such varied foods, it's fine. We're not missing anything. So the higher madrega, which I can't fulfill because I can't even bear to think about a cheeseburger or shrimp, is rather than say, EFSHI, I don't like it anyway, if you're honest, say, EFSHI, but my asset. What's the middle of that? The answer is, it's dangerous if you keep saying, yes, I wouldn't want it anyway, and I'm having a good time anyway, because then the day when you're not in a good mood, all of a sudden, it's hard to keep the mitzvahs. So she keeps bavarning with magic and writing how it does these things and it's fantastic, but that's not the reason we're doing it. We'll get to the short version of the end of our article. It's a behavioral manifestation of the covenant between the God and the Jews. And if you cut the core out of something, by importing it without religion, what's left will rot. That's her musr to the whole world, but the musr is really for us. If Shabbos is framed as something you are doing for yourself, whether the benefit of your mental health, was he rested enough to be the busiest worker bee the rest of the week, it's demoted to handmaiden, that's shifcha, to your Sunday through Friday rather than held as the highest time of the week. It says, you guys, you're missing the point. It doesn't provide the true release that actual submission gives. And this is her maskana. He says, you want to benefit from something in Ruchnius, which they're not trying to do. He says, it's all about submission. It's all about nasa finishma. That's submission. It's all about, I'm not here for me. I'm here to do a Kajboch's bidding. And Hashem knows what's best for me, what's best for Klayasol, what's best for the Ulam, what's best for our Kenyan Olam Habo. But you have to be very submissive to do that. Submission is the very thing that allows us to reap all those ancillary benefits. Put another way, a major reason everyone is so exhausted is because we have been taught to always strive for better, even if we have only the vaguest notion of what that better would look like. It's touching up all over modern society. So he says, you can't get better if you don't understand what better is. And if you think it's all about whatever makes you happier, you should look at the Messias, you're not getting happier. And B, it's not about you. It's about Nasa Vedishma. We're two minutes from the end of this brilliant piece. In 2012, thousands of Haredi Jews gathered at City Field in New York to protest the internet to the round mockery of the plugged-in class. That's the rest of the world. It's good, because I didn't even know they were mocking us. So ignorance is bliss, because we're not supposed to care anyway. That's 2012, not so long ago. A decade. Seven years later, those same denouncers were singing the praises and tweeting about digital Shabbos. Because they didn't exactly get it right. They couldn't put their finger on it, but they realized those people we look at as unusual and out of society seem to have figured out years ahead that this problem was coming. Those Orthodox Jews uttered warnings about the power of the internet that children would feel like technology orphans, the parents paid more attention to their phones than to them. 
that allowed very loud lay people to drown out the voices of qualified experts. That's a big problem. Give everybody a microphone. And you can say whatever nasty things you want, do it anonymously. So they had a rally about the Mechazic themselves, not the rest of the world, because they just mocked them. But she says, isn't it interesting that the whole world has come around to try to now take this secret potion and integrate it? As long as we think we can remake Shabbos in service of our own ends, the rest it promises will remain deeply longed for, but never achieved. There's a lot more to say on this, but the fact that society has many people doing averas that we've had for thousands of years, the fact that society now has the vehicle to push one culture on everyone and make it interesting enough that nobody wants to resist is particularly dangerous. And that's what's going on, and apparently the first 10, 15 years is child's play compared to what's coming. Because you'll say, well, they're in yeshiva. When they come home, it's now going to be a fight about, okay, you're only getting an hour of uh, game time, an hour of this, an hour of that. Well, what hour? Is it, I, it takes me an hour just to invite all the people from around the world to my metaverse village. That's like the first three hours. Well, what hour? And explain to younger people and explain to older people that that's not going to make you happier. It's a drug. And like any drug, it looks like a quick fix. And it looks like a lot of fun. And afterwards, you find out that if you're not focusing on the Amelis Shaltera and focusing on where you could push based on your talents and resources, push the agenda and sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice. It's not a good word to use because people are, I don't sacrifice. You're not sacrificing. It'll be better for you, certainly better but you have to have a mahalach and hold on to that mahalach. And especially, as we mentioned before, they're trying every which way to get this to infiltrate the community. And they'll use any sine das to help them along with it. And now they want the keys to the yeshivas so they can dictate what we're learning and how we're learning it with the false claim that they're not learning anything, they don't know English, and they don't know math, and they don't know invite any of them to the communities. We know as much as the Sfas of the Umas that we need to know. We know what we need to know, when we need to know it, to the extent we need and nothing more. Because we're trying to focus on the real game plan. And that is subservience, the Nasa Venishma. Understand that that is the biggest Atava Gajbah who gave us. And in order to get that Atava, you have to stick with it with the serious Nefesh. Have a good day, and uh, we shall have a slaughter.